Well, we talk a lot about uh, transforming technology. We talk about how companies are constantly adapting uh, new types of technology. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about like there are more and more people embracing digital transformation. And I think one, we should give ourselves all a round of applause. Many legacy companies, as we've been talking about, have actually adopted um, some, some new digital transformation projects. But there's always work to be done. And then I would propose to you, I want to propose something that I want everyone to take into consideration for their next, next digital transformation project. And here's what it is. It's, it's, I'm going to call it the waitlist feature. Now, where we are in digital transformation is many people have now built a portal for their sites where you can log in, you can register, and that's great. In, in here in Texas, in fact, texas.gov now has a portal. You can log in, yep. create your account register your house, pay your property taxes, do your uh, driver's license, pay your uh, car taxes. It's fantastic. Great job. That's, that's what we want to see more of. But what I found here that is missing from all of these sites is what I'm going to call the waitlist feature. Okay. Now here's the situation, right? There is something you have to schedule, but the thing that you're trying to schedule has very few appointments available right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. today, the way this is handled by most uh, digital things is like, you just have to randomly log in and hit refresh over and over again oh. to see if your appointment time, if someone will cancel, like they'll just cancel. And then you're online at the right exact moment that you then click on it and you're like, I'm going to get it. And then you have to quickly <laughs> fill out the form before they're like, oh, sorry, that space is taken because there's a team of what I always envision millions, but it's probably just like 10 other people on the site simultaneously fighting for this one specific spot. Now, these can be very trivial things, like maybe you're just like trying to get tickets to a concert. These can yep. be things that are much more important, like maybe you're trying totally. to like see a specific <laughs> doctor. Um, yep. Almost anything to do with uh, uh, citizenship, uh, you know, if you will, registering for a passport, you know, all of that kind of stuff where there's there's precious few appointments. Right. And so you just while we wish there were more, you just have to be online. So, yes, what I am hoping for and maybe, Matt, you'll tell me this already exists. It's like I'm not sure <laughs> what people are using today. I assume everyone's writing something in Node or one of these popular web frameworks. So, and I think a lot of them come with like kind of user management, like here's your users. Here's how you save them. Here's your password reset. You know, all that good stuff that we need in digital transformation. But what I'm proposing is somebody needs to write the ultimate wait list, if you will, um, Node.js library or something that can be plugged in so that anytime someone is creating a site where they think they're going to have, um, if you will, some competition for spots, they can just be mm-hmm. like, you know what, I got to enable the wait list feature. And oh, it's the, very the, the library waitlist.npm. Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, and it's just as you're kind of setting it all up, you like, you need password, you need password reset, you want some uh, MFA you know, whatever, some profile management. And then you also say, yeah, I need to have the waitlist feature because what I think we all want is to say, okay. And, and I agree, like it can be a first come first serve, like if you're on the site, but rather than just madly clicking, uh, uh, doing the old F5 on the browser, constantly refreshing, <laughs> you, what you would do is you just put in your name, be like, okay. And then I think in the waitlist feature and the this uh, magical library that I want something to create is like, they can just set up the rules. They can say, okay, like, all right, you can be on the wait list. You're on the wait list for however long they want to mm-hmm. say. So maybe it's like a, a week, a day, whatever. And then they can even say the rules. It's like, all right, uh, give us your phone number. And when we notify you, you get however many, you know, 
30 minutes. You get two hours. You All get right. some, so, like, so they're, they're tacking in some Twilio in there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we could get some Twilio in there. So that's what I want. So I'm going to come in and say, like, and so they can define the rules. So I, I want, again, I, I understand that the people that control these sites probably don't care because they have so much business. They obviously like, it doesn't matter to me. They're like, it doesn't matter. My full, my, uh, my appointments will be full because I'm in such demand. Right. So this yes. is what I want. I want them to, but that's, that's why I believe it has to be a library that somebody just creates. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Yes. A proper, proper NPM ecosystem. You should write one because clearly <laughs> one already exists, but you should write one. I put up a good back door in it. So if your name is Brandon, you always move to the top of the list. <laughs> people adopt it widely. And then when you get tired of people using oh, your software, you this... just yank it and bring the ecosystem down with you. That, I'm just, honestly, that's I'm what I think. This, I'm just letting this shower over me. I'm like this, this <laughs> level of genius. Like, you know, there's all this talk about like, you know, open source for bad. But what, yeah, that, what about back doors just for yourself? Open right? source right. for good for me, bad oh. for you. Well, you could almost be like, hey, if you write the library and you do all the work, your your uh, compensation could be like you deserve you, it, Brandon. You always you can always be the first person on the list. I, I'm totally fair with that. I'm like, great. Yeah, that person, whoever writes it should automatically keep themselves uh, for it. But I, I just you know, I guess there's a question for you, Matt. Like, do you do you struggle with this in your life? Have, have you uh, been caught in the what I would call like the uh, sit around and refresh, you know, all day long so you can get some appointment? Have you ever done played this game? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, when when, uh, you know, so when they first rolled out like uh, the COVID vaccines here, right, it was, you know, oh, you, you know, we, we have, you know, eight, eight, 80 slots today. And, you know, you'd be sitting there and, and, you know, they, or they'd release them like, here's the next week of, 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 yes. you know, prescriptions. They're like, I need to get five. Right. You know, um, and, or, or, you know, or, or that kind of nonsense and it's driving halfway across town. And so, you know, you'd get one, you know, you'd, you'd get one like, you know, months in, in advance, you know, and then you'd spend the rest of your time, like, has anybody dropped? You know, can I, can I, you know, you, you can keep refreshing like, oh, you know, here's some slots that opened up two weeks before that, you know, cause that's the most recent, uh, you know, right now, um, they, they got that, that Dr. Strange movie about to come out and, and my yes. son, you know, it, I think it comes out today or tomorrow or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for like the last three weeks, my son has been like, look, the theater's empty. We need to go opening day. And I'm like, that's, that's not how it works. Right. You know, everyone's going to buy, they're just going to roll up and, and, and just, you know, buy tickets and go sit down, you know, or, or whatever. He's like, but it's empty. You know, the <laughs> online reservation system shows the theater's empty. I'm no. like, you can't trust it. It's not going to be right. empty. You, you know, we're not going to sit neck to neck in a country with like, you know, this COVID rate and, you know, ha- ha- most of the people not even wearing masks anymore. And <sighs> anywho, um, so yeah, they still got it going on. Uh, I- I'm clearly still dealing with that kind of stuff, you know, and if you put the Brandon back door in it, um, I can say like, you know, the theater is full to everyone else and i could have the theater to myself that'd be pretty sweet well you're i mean you are hitting on so many good ideas here one the creator of the library should definitely put themselves in to have some type of backdoor but then two like a couple things you've already added to the requirements to this is like one we need bulk wait list waiting your situation you need five appointments right that's like almost nearly impossible hadn't thought about that one that in itself like i the reason i'm on the wait list i gotta have five appointments i want them all to be around the same time in the right same place so that's clearly wait wait we, we can even go like theme park style on this like i got five bucks as i move to the top of that list this is my point this is where <laughs> i was going this is hold on man this is where i was going like i know you probably haven't been in a while but like uh, a few a few weeks ago oh, yeah. I you got your fast passes and disney you know. plus 
That's just yeah. our Disney Fast Pass. Or I can't remember what they call it. I just forgot the name of it. It's not Disney Plus. That's the uh, obviously the TV network. But like, yes, the Fast Pass is what you need, right? Because then you could charge a little extra and say, "Yep, just because." And I think we should just hire the team from Disney that created the whole. Uh, <laughs> we're I gonna mean, we're gonna need to throw some Imagineers at this problem. I think so because Disney, like, if you think about every single ride, is sort of in demand, and there, I think there's something like a, I don't know, some incredible amount of people go to Disney per day. It's like tens of thousands. It's like so they've scale tested this thing, they figured it out, they've got uh, a ton of uh, good characters, and so why not? Even if they want, they can throw some advertising in this as well. Like on the email wait list, you guys, like, hey, you're off the wait, uh, off the wait list, and you know what you should do? Go to Disney World with all that extra time. Anything like that would be fine with me. I think Disney is the perfect people to fix this. This episode is sponsored by IT Bro. To everyone in search of great industry content, we've got an exciting new IT-focused newsletter to share with you. Morning Brew just launched IT Brew, a twice-weekly newsletter that delivers the latest news and analysis of trends shaping the IT industry straight to your inbox. It covers new innovations in enterprise software, cloud computing, cybersecurity, and more. But more importantly, it's an effective way for IT leaders to stay informed and inspired in their field. It's completely free to subscribe. Sign up today via the link in the show notes or post it on softwaredefinedtalk.com. And of course, we thank IT Brew for sponsoring our show. All right, Matt, this week, uh, our favorite company, at least one of my favorite companies, there's a new book that's come out about Apple. And it's really kind of written, I guess, from the perspective of sort of post Steve Jobs. And one of the things that has come out was, uh, I guess, this tension here between uh, Cook and uh, Mr. Johnny Ive. Johnny Ive, of course, being like, you know, the Uber great designer who gave us uh, all the MacBooks and the iPhones and stuff like that. And then, of course, Tim Cook, CEO of Apple, generally considered the numbers guys, the operational person, not the creative person. I see you. So <laughs> that's right. So this was an excerpt from this uh, book, which I've not read, but it, it sounds good. It sounds like uh, I'll read a little bit here from the article. It says uh, the Apple watch was slated to be introduced to a local community college auditorium near the company's Cupertino, California headquarters to bring cosmopolitan gloss to a suburban landscape of strip malls, strip malls, Mr. I recommended removing two dozen trees and erecting a lavish white tent. Now, before I go any further here, Matt, what do you think something like that would cost? Like, what do you think? What, like, if I'm asking you, I'm like, hey, this is what we should do. What, what would you, what would you fathom uh, a guess at at, at su- a, such an endeavor? Oh, geez, the trees are expensive. It, it's it's going to be a lot. I mean. I can see the article, so. <laughs> okay, well, so I'll, we'll get to it here. So his extravagant vision wasn't going over well. Quote, they want $25 million, a colleague said uh, of the event's price tag. Um, and then, so this is the part that shocks me. One, I have no idea how much it costs to move trees around, but I was there, I there blown lot. away. I have yeah. never, like, I've been a part of many product launches, right? I have never at least uh, uh, something around this. I, I mean, some big ones in Vegas and some crazy stuff, but I have never seen someone come out and say $25 million. I don't know. I think I would just in the room. They're I would big always, trees. They're big trees. I, you know, they, 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 all the money Austin spent on like treaty. Even as I was reading this, I felt anxious for Johnny I. Like I would be scared to say that number out loud. But anyway, so, but goes yes, on good, to say. Good, good point from, from the, uh, the thread, uh, from the, uh, the comments here. It's not what they charge. Or it's not what they cost. It's what they charge. <laughs> this is true. This you want to move our trees? Oh, a million dollars each, right? It's more crazy because you think of Tim Cook as the numbers guy. So it goes on to say that, quote, this is Tim Cook, says, we should just do it. 
So he agreed to do it. And so, uh, and I guess, but, and this is what I think is more crazy is uh, said that uh, to many presents at this meeting, Mr. Cook's approval seemed like a win for Mr. Ive, but the designer would later recast it as a, uh, what, Perfect victory. Uh, he would tell colleagues that the debate over this event and the uh, larger struggle over the watch's marketing were among his first moments that he felt unsupported at Apple. I am just like, this is incredible to me. He asked for $25 million, which is absurd. I think this is totally absurd. There is no justification that you would say moving these trees is going to somehow bring in $25 million additional dollars to it Apple. It was a nice tent. It was a um, nice tent. <laughs> like, what could possibly be in the tent? What could the tent possibly do that would be worth $25 million? What could you even put in it? Uh, well, you, then, you put the world's largest watch company inside it and you show it to everybody. I I just think it's crazy. And so, but then what I think is crazy is that Cook approved this absurd request. And it goes on in the article to say that at this time, Cook and the board of directors of Apple were very concerned that I would leave. And they were estimating that if he were to leave, that um, upwards of $50 billion could be wiped out off the market cap. Like if he just came out and said, I'm leaving, right? So I guess I get where the ROI from Tim Cook kind of came from. He's just like, I'm so afraid this person's going to leave. But he actually caved in and gave him up. And then only to, uh, at least as it's reported, to actually be rebuffed by Johnny Ive, like, you're not giving me what I want. So I want, like, in this whole book, I guess as I've, I've um just read some of the excerpts it says it's quoted uh i think the title is how techno technocrats triumphed at apple so it's kind of written from the perspective of uh, at least initially my read is that johnny ive is like this hero artist person right that has been fighting against the man the classic campbell character the hero artist yeah i don't know whatever we'll have to get mr chippy explain the the movie script here but anyway the whole point is like it seems like they're trying to like you know kind of position it as like you know, all these crazy executives, number of people at Apple, like forced out Johnny Ive. And um, they've sort of like, you know, if you will, taken the soul of Apple. And I'm like, I read this stuff. I And maybe this is just my age. I'm like, I think I'm a Tim Cook fan. I'm like, this is crazy. I think I'm with Tim Cook on this. So, yeah, so I mean, where do you come down? Are you are you team Tim Cook? Or are you team Johnny Ive? In this, oh, come in this on. Reading? He's my CEO. I got to stick with him. I mean, you know, he, I, I'm definitely team Tim Cook. I mean, I I appreciate everything John Ivy did, but uh, he he gave him the trees, and now he's unhappy. I, what's the problem here? Come on. Well, then they gave him a hundred million dollars and didn't make him work for the next ten years, and he could just like hey, and then they quietly let him, if you will, promoted him out of the company. So so that's quite the nice send off. Obviously, he's created a tremendous value for Apple. I'm not saying he didn't deserve it, but it's just it did seem to me. Uh, like it's such a bad situation. But the other part here that I, I guess I wanted to throw out is that I think the whole book, they're missing, like they should have definitely consulted us. We have a lot better perspective <laughs> on this because what I think the hero is, and they go on to say that, is that Tim Cook led the acquisition of Beats, right? And uh, and the, what they should have taken from us and we would have given them would be like how Tim Cook embraced the defaults lifestyle. That should be the name of this book. Oh yeah. Because yeah. Tim Cook, and there's, there's another little excerpt when they says that, you know, he bought beats and the beats team was like, a, I don't know. It was like the beats music service was maybe like at a 10,000 people when it got bought something really small. And so they go in, they presented Tim Cook 
and they say like, oh, we're, we think we have a plan to get to 10 million. And so what does Tim Cook do? Because he's the CEO and any type of uh, QBR situation, what do you do as an executive? You just double the goal. Tim Cook says like, <laughs> why not 20 million? So the team is like, huh? They're like, whoa, this seems impossible. Sure enough. And they go on to say that, as we all remember, the beat service becomes Apple Music. Wasn't very good at the beginning. Some people would say it's still not that good. I'm fine with it. I use it all the time. But regardless, Dick, six months later, he has 20 million users because you know what? Tim Cook gets the defaults lifestyle. He's like, I'm just going to put this out here. People are going to buy it. People, you know, there's plenty of people with families who are just going to be like, fine, just roll in the family plan. Fine. Throw in the iCloud storage. (laughs) Fine. Throw in Apple TV plus throw in the arcade. I don't care. It's all 20 bucks to me a month. I don't care. So this this is the point. That should have been the name of this book. How Tim, Tim Cook, Cook understands embraced. the irresistible force of inertia, right? <laughs> and, you know, as long it, it takes a long time to screw things up to the point where people will stop going for the defaults, right? And especially, you know, when you're the size of Apple, you know, it, it's just going to keep happening. They'll keep rolling stuff out and people will be like, you know, oh, we're raising your bill from, you know, fifteen ninety nine to twenty ninety nine. You're like, okay. You know, and then the next, you know, the next quarter shows up as, you know, an extra $500 million. That's where Netflix got to. They got to the end of the, the passive acceptance of, of, you know, this bill raising, you know, uh, people getting locked out. It's like, eventually it comes to an end. But you know what? Apple doesn't see the end for a while. You know, they, they, they've got, they've got headway to go. Um, and uh, they're, they're going to be okay. <laughs> no, I definitely think so. Well, I like the fact that I think that's the whole point is like he figured it out. And so the other thing I think is interesting, and I wanted to get your take on this is like, it's hard to know when Johnny Ive actually stepped away from like the day to day design, right? Because you don't, it's almost like, you know, it, it would be great if each product sort of was signed by like who designed it. Like, because I don't think we totally oh, yeah. know. Like, right? like my Steve Wozniak, um, Apple II GS. Yeah, it's like, okay, who was really <laughs> behind it? But I would say, and I want your take on this is like, I think the Apple products and what I think is the post Johnny Ive era have gotten a lot better because they're just doing what I think are like the simple things. Like they're adding back ports, right? They're sort of like, like I mean, <laughs> Oh, the ports of the it, devil's interfaces, right? I know, but like, I mean, it's you know, great. you let Isn't that stuff great? in and you get rid of the smooth lines. Isn't it? I mean, but HDMI it's, is so big and chunky. I know, but I love it. I love it. We have our ports back, <laughs> right? I think that's great. They even, uh, you know, the, uh, what's the new, the Mac studio, you know what the Mac studios is just a little desktop computer that like, it's great. Yeah. It's just in a box, but you know, what's great about it. So you can hook up as many monitors as you want to it. You just go right there, get the ports, do whatever you want. It seems like this seems like a fantastic development to me, right? Yes. You know, what's great yes. about the new keyboard is that it actually works. The new keyboard, like when you press the buttons, it actually displays the characters on the screen and there's, yeah, it's okay yeah. if you put some food in it. So yeah, I don't know. Me, I meanwhile, like, like, you know, John Ivy's crying into his hundred million dollars going like, I'm going to launch the iPod Hi-Fi 2. And it's going to be sleeker. <laughs> you know, it's going to have nothing. It's not going to even have, it's going to have nothing uh, with it. But go um, look at it. So I don't know. Like, would we say the part, I, I don't know. What would you say? I'm assuming those products were, if you will, developed in the post Johnny Ive era. Oh, where I'm sure. I'm sure. Where they, yeah, they're just like, someone's like, you know what we should do is just add a port. And there wasn't anyone in to be like, just to your point, like there wasn't someone demanding a $25 million trees to be removed and be like, there's no way we'll ever putting any port on this thing. It over my, over my shiny <laughs> gold-plated corpse. Um, yeah, I mean, if you think about it, like most of the products coming out now are – they they have a slightly more utilitarian feel, but you know the keyword is utility. 
<laughs> they're like slightly more useful, which gets, you know, some of the complainers back on board. Um, yeah. You know, the real, the real, you know, what's going to kill John Ivy is if they put the headphone jack back. <laughs> Do you think at that point, like he, he literally comes to the office and is just like, he writes a book. He writes he, a tell all about into the office. is like you add an analog uh, jack back to this, com- this computer. And I go public with everything, everything that's yeah. ever been uh, bad said about you, Tim Cook. I think that would be that would actually be the true test. That would be the true test of like if they could add the headphone jack back, which I guess is on the laptop. So to be to be fair, it's still on. I think the Mac. Uh, yeah, the Mac. I, I've got mine, but you know, I now own you know three of those Lightning to uh, headphone adapters. Thank you very that's much. Right. <sighs> well, it does bring me the, maybe the final question. The only re- recentness, I guess, will just be uh, like, where do you come down on this five K uh, monitor thing? Like, so you know, Apple. Oh, those are those, those are ridiculous. Those are ridiculous. I mean, I mean, you know, the that's reviews... the, I was gonna say like. The first monitor they were, whatever the the other the the monitor that's like five thousand dollars is so insanely ridiculous. It's like not even a serious thing. Like, yeah, it, who, it is kind of questionable because it's that? like, like they can barely. They're they're so expensive that they can probably barely sell them. They probably have you know I'm sure they're like fifty percent margins still at least <laughs> right maybe maybe eighty percent margins right they're they're still, but like. Okay, but the seventeen hundred dollar monitor could you sell more? I was gonna say, but it's this recent one, the seventeen hundred dollar monitor. That's basically five K. That's that seems Mm -hmm, to be like mm -hmm. the big thing that has like the bad camera that has. I guess it has the weird, uh, um, what do they call it? Like motion studio kind of thing. It's like, but I don't don't know. I was listening to some people that are super passionate about five K. Like I don't know what like your resolution. I let me hear hear what you use. I just use. What QHD? So it's the what fourteen forty. I just have like I find yeah, yeah. like I don't even go full four K. I just find that the fourteen forty is just because I have maybe poor eyesight. It works well for me. Now I think one of our listeners, Brian, as I remember, at one point I think he was rocking two five K monitors, the old LG ones. But I think he actually even gave up one because he felt like it was it was just kind of a, a waste. So where do you come down? Like what first, Matt? What monitor resolution are you using right now? What's your preferred <laughs> uh, a resolution? Cool. No one can um, see it right now. I'm like literally testing Matt as he's like frantically looking at his monitor to figure out what it is. Yeah, I, I'm. I am at what is 2560 by 1440. Is that right. 1440? QHD. QHD. That's where we're at, right? Like I, I have a 4K monitor, and that's what uh-huh. I'm rocking. At. And but but the the reason the reason is because my laptop next to it doesn't do 4K, right? So okay, like if 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 I have one monitor at 4K and the other ones at you know Ultra HD or whatever. You know, the font sizes are too screwy. So I need them to be something similar sized. Um, My monitor, I can do 4K at 60, but it's too small. And my video card making my point. 4K is not really usable. So now I get the whole 5K thing, which is all it is is doubling QHD, right? So you're just getting a much better picture at 1440, which I will grant you when I see it, it does look better. But why I would pay. $1,700 $1,700 for that versus like no. these, uh, you know, let's give it out to Dell. You know, we don't ever talk about Dell. These Dell monitors I have here right now, I think they were just a couple hundred dollars. I've got a 32 inch Dell. It's nice. Honestly, they've been great. I know they're not 5K. I have no problem with it at all. So I don't know. So so I will say if if Tim Cook goes the full defaults lifestyle, he will give us, you know, a sub $1,000 QHD monitor. That would, no, like we know. For whatever reason, they have never cared about monitors. Right. And, but, but, but the thing is like, clearly they have the technology cause they can make, you know, IMAX in affordable price ranges. 
Well, yeah. the thing I really want to know though is like someone would uh it would be great if someone would just take a picture of like the Apple campus. Like I just like the open, I don't know how they're set up there, but I assume they have some type of open floor plan. It's like, what are the Apple engineers using? Like, do they do they, do they all get two seventeen hundred dollar monitors? Good luck getting that by the expense team here. Like I there is no way <laughs> I can be like, I need thirty four hundred dollars for two brand new monitors. I mean, like it wouldn't even make it first level. It would be rejected so fast. So, well, they, so they, they, they get a, an employee discount <laughs> of like ten percent. <laughs> well, I want to know. I want to know if everybody in Apple is using the new monitors. I guess it'll just be one more reason we should all go work at Apple. But to wrap this up, I'll just say, hey, listen, Tim Cook, you know. Don't believe the haters. I We know you brought us the default lifestyle, and I'm fine with it. So I'm fine that Johnny Ive, the fact that he has his $100 million and he's uh, you know out there driving around designing. Well, who, who did uh, the AirPods? Was that Johnny Ive um, That came as part of the watch. That was part of the, the watch thing because they wanted a way to kind of like decouple that. So I think yeah, that may yeah, have been a Johnny That's a huge business too, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe, hey, Johnny Ive, if you did that, hey, we shouldn't say, again, no hate to Johnny Ive. He's done some great things. But, hey, the $25 million for the trees. That's over the line. Even for you, that's over the line. That's just that's just crazy talk. So, all right. Well, we wish everyone uh, Apple well. And somebody confirmed to me. I want to know if everybody at Apple is rocking these new monitors. Uh, I I just I guess I want to just be jealous of that. So great for you. But I know the rest of the world isn't. I know because we go out there. We go to these uh, visit our customers, uh, Matt. We don't see these monitors. We see a lot of Dell monitors. No, that's for sure. Never seen one. Now the other big news, Matt, is. This is it. You've been waiting, I don't know, at least five years for this, Matt. This is your moment. Uh, Apple, Google, and Microsoft have teamed up on uh, passwordless logins, which basically just means they've all agreed they're going to support FIDO, F-I-D-O. And and that's just the long way, the long short of that, and everyone can read the link, is that basically is the way to use public uh, private key encryption to authenticate the sites and not to use passwords. It's been around for a long time, probably at least three to four years. The problem is it hasn't really widely been adopted. But Matt, you have been a YubiKey fan since maybe the entire time YubiKey is. I was afraid you were going to bring that up. No, oh, no. This is it, Matt. I was like, this may be the moment. You've been carrying around these USB YubiKeys uh, uh, um, for years. I've got like, I got like, two or three in my uh, little uh, plastic bin over here. This is your moment, Matt. Are you ready? Do you have your YubiKeys and will you be adopting this? I assume you've already adopted it. Will you be you're, adopting You're, you're outing me here. Brandon, mm-hmm. you're outing me. My, so so I got a YubiKey uh, a long time ago, and it mm-hmm. it was the pre Fido model, okay. and um, it it hardly worked on anything after a while because everybody upgraded to these new standards that are now being fully adopted, and right. I never I never bought a new one. I just went to uh, Matt, the Matt, Authenticator app on my here. phone. Matt. I, oh. I know I'm, I'm, oh, I'm the, Matt, you just, you, you've, you've crossed over to the dark side. That's what I was going to ask you. It's uh, so, yeah. so I think you, be, I guess we should quickly explain everyone. Now, why don't you give us everyone a quick uh, primer? What is the YubiKey and, and how would you actually use it? <laughs> so the YubiKey is a, a hardware dongle um, that uh, has a private key in it. And when, um, uh, when it's connected to your device, um, the other, the device on the other side sends a, a password and you, or, you know, sends a challenge and you encrypt it with your uh, key and send the response. And that's how they validate that you're the actual owner of that physical device. And so they right. consider that, you know, a two-factor authentication mode. And so, um, you know, if it's, uh, 
probably safer than a phone because you know you can't hijack it um and you know it's it's a physical device so you can uh you know carry it with your person and and keep it on a keychain uh, as i did for many years um <laughs> but uh <laughs> I, I i did stop using mine uh recently like i think uh i probably stopped carrying it about a year ago now this is my point i think i've been on record one first of all no one should ever make you to pay for a YubiKey. If you are not a YubiKey evangelist by now, you should be getting all of this for free. So I, they, need, they immediately need to send me some new ones. I think I've been on record for the entire time saying, I don't think YubiKey is ever going to work. But Fido, and as you've kind of uh, demonstrated, uh, and using your, uh, your mobile device as basically the, if you will, hardware key, I think that is destined to be the solution. And I have to say, I mean, you know, we cover a lot of boring stuff here. I'm not gonna gonna lie, and I know people think passwords are boring, but I'm actually, I am actually somewhat excited by this. I was like, this actually, because they even kind of say in one of the articles was like, you know, if you go to any security conference anywhere, right? There's always like death of the password. Passwords are dying. Like, I mean, we've probably seen this for 20 years. I've seen been at a conference probably at least 15 or 20 years of going where someone's always claiming the password's going to die, and of course we know it never really dies. But I was like. This is a tiny step forward. And I guess the distinction here is they're going to let you register and sign up using the FIDO login. And then most importantly, you're not going to have to, if you will, log in with your password every single time to, if you will, quote unquote, let Google use FIDO and then let Safari use it. So to me, incredibly exciting moment. So what do you, I, I'm bullish on it. I'm actually going to go the other side and say like, this is actually going to get some traction. I think there's been enough failures with passwords that now is the time um, for people to actually go out and have to learn a little bit more about authentication. Matt, is my, is my optimism warranted in this situation? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Yubi and, and Titan and some of the other competitors, like they've shipped support for, you know, all the operating systems and things like that. And, um, and uh, you know, I, I didn't see a link to it, but uh, GitHub announced this week uh, that they're going to require 2FA for everyone um, using a public facing repo in the next, uh, by the end of next year. Um, and that's on that same path, right? Um, yeah. I don't know if this is ever really going to take off. But I think we're going to get to somewhere like 2FA where it's kind of like uh, like SSL, right? It's going to become out of the ordinary not to have it. And people are going to be like, how come I don't have that? But uh, I don't know if it's going to be a physical device still. Well, I, um, that's where I'm still kind of. Um, this week, 1Password 8 came out for the Mac. Love it. Use 1Password all the time. That's the preferred uh, one um, software vault for software defined talk. Matt, this is where you and I share all our secrets. Um, <laughs> and so... And I've, you know, slowly introduced, I think I mentioned on the show before, my family, even my extended family, I've kind of gotten them into one password, kind of showed them how to use it. And it's always, it's a difficult I'm about you know, to do that. transition. I'm about like, to we've do all that. talked about yeah. that. So I think the reason I'm also excited by this is like, hey, the fact that people could enroll in it and not have to type a password and never know a password, right? The fact that like, oh, you just hold your device here and it, you know, as you were explaining, yeah, it kind of yeah. magically trades the keys and they never have to type it in. Potentially that experience is so much easier that if you get everyone you do it, and I think it has to be the phone. This is where I'm off the UV key train, right? I just think if you make people carry another device, it's like, uh, not going to happen. But if you get them using their phone, I think people could maybe be more open to it. Now I'll just give you the, 
if you will, the, uh, the bear case for this though, is just like, well, what happens when you, uh, quote unquote, forget, lose your phone or lose your hardware token. And, well, you, you, know, you, you gotta have um, multiple two FAs. And so like every time I log into GitHub, they're like, where's your Yubi key? And I'm like, right. quiet, you here's two FA, right? Uh, <laughs> you, you know, have here's the way to do it, but it's yeah, like, yeah. so, but it, I think, I guess the, the idea I like is sort of like, you got to get people like all in where it's almost like you'd have two, you know, maybe, maybe to, if you will resurrect, we'll, we'll call it the, uh, the bull case for YubiKey was like, you have your phone as one, if you will register that and you register a YubiKey that you keep at home in a safe place. Right. And it's sort of like, that's your backup code instead of having, you know, if you will, to do the, the second factor authentication. So I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe as I just even described that I probably lost, like all regular people are like, have no idea what I'm talking about and they're, they're not going to use it. But I believe, well, I, I think I've, there's a reason to be optimistic here, Matt. I think we should be optimistic but, but, around I mean, the password. That that's what it comes back. You know, I I don't know what John Ivy's take was on this, but you know, Apple's been pushing people down this path, right? With the, the phone and the watch, doing like the 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 physical device proximity, you know, sign in stuff. They're taking people down that path already, and and they're making it you know a, a default lifestyle style that. Uh, is consumable by the masses. And, you know, my, my kids now have the, uh, uh, you know, the iMacs with the fingerprint reader and it's like, you know, or the MacBooks with the fingerprint reader and they love it. Right. And I, I, I do need to get uh, <clears throat> one password going for the whole family. Um, you know, maybe I can get some sort of media rate if you're listening. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I don't, it, it, it's one of those things just like, you know, just like 2FA, it's going to take a lot of coercion and education. And we know that Americans don't want that. I mean, consumers don't want that, you know. And so they're going to get dragged kicking and streaming, kicking and screaming down this path. But uh, it's going to happen slowly. Well, let me say this. Tim Cook, hey, there's no reason this can't be part of the default lifestyle. You've, you've, made, a, you've made us uh, happy with music. You're making us happy with these uh, these new TV shows. Just keep pushing. Don't listen to Johnny Ive. Don't, list, don't let him take away our <laughs> um, our need to get rid of these passwords. So so keep keep pushing, Tim Cook. Uh, I hope you do that. All right. The other thing um, I thought we'd touch on this week, Matt, was uh, a company that we've talked a little bit about before, but I think there's a really good article about it, Twilio, who I think yes. um, we were talking about. Twilio, probably best known for the easiest way to send uh, SMS messages programmatically. That is definitely not how they would describe their company. That's what I think. What do you, I don't know. Is that a fair description, Matt? Did I just, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if you're thinking, you know, telecommunications, you know, phone, voice, you know, phone trees, that kind of junk, you know, Twilio is the first name that dro- comes to mind. And then I have a hard time thinking of a second one. And, you know, that's a good place to be in. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, their, their financials are, uh, you know, they're, they're under question, you know, um, about how good or, you know, what's the upside there? Um, you know, what, uh, what, what were you going to take on it? Well, I think the title of this article, that's good. Everyone should read it. It's basically, um, is it overhyped or is it just unprofitable? And I, you know, I hadn't really looked at it much cause I, I just like Twilio. I just think, I mean, I just feel like I'm sure Me there too. are other ways. Which explains SMS. my bad stock portfolio. <laughs> As I say, I'm sure there are other ways to send SMS messages programmatically. I frankly cannot name any of them. I'm not only one I've ever used this Twilio. I like I just think of like this is this is Twilio's thing. Now, but I you know what was interesting about this is, you know, again, it's always back to valuation. Like how much is this company worth? And then the thing that really struck me and that this article did a good job is was showing 
you know, just how unprofitable Twilio has been for like a fairly long period of time. Like I would have thought. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah. um, It shows, you know, uh, the fact that, you know, we don't ever actually do any real preparation for this by actually looking at financial (laughs) reports unless someone like literally spoon feeds us in an article. And I was like shocked to find out just how much money they've been losing for such a long period of time. And that's what Mm -hmm. really grabbed my attention. And um, so one, I think from a business strategy point of view, that is interesting. It's like, wow, here you are, you've kind of owned this segment, but you can't make any, if you will, consistent profit with it. And two, the other thing that's interesting is like, they've clearly expanded well beyond what we're talking about. Like they have a whole vision of doing all kinds of stuff, serverless, they have some enterprise suites, um, yep. they have a whole, they bought several companies together. And so maybe that kind of explains a little bit. It's like some of the stuff we don't know about as well is clearly not, at least, if you will, performing at a revenue-wise as as ways to come from it. But I thought Owen in the Slack, he asked a good question. You know, he said, um, he put in here, quote, why does it matter if the valuation is over the top or not as a customer? And he's kind of coming in from like a customer point of view. It's like, does it really even matter? And I think the short answer to his question was like, well, it probably doesn't. Like if you're just using it for SMS messaging, like it probably really, I don't think it has any necessarily day-to-day impact on you, but... And I think Matt, you have some experience with this. Is I do think it takes uh, makes sense to keep an eye on, the, if you will, your key technology vendors, right? The people that provide something that you think is super stable, and you know whether they're profitable or not is important just to see like their strength in the market, right? Because the worst thing is like if someone kind of comes in and buys a company that you are really satisfied with, right? You're like yep. this company does this thing great. I don't have to worry about it. I'm solidified. But what sometimes happens is maybe a company comes in, I don't know, let's just call them uh, private equity, you know, theoretically, <laughs> uh, and comes in. And the reason that can be bad is that they will either radically start changing the service, uh, reducing support for it, or just take it in a, to- uh, a completely different direction. So I don't know, I think that was sort of like my take for Owen was like, that's probably the only thing that I would worry about. Now, in the case yeah. of Julio, it's still uh, considered a growth stock. It has a ton of cash. Like, I don't think anyone, I look at me say this now, right. You know, just go ahead, timestamp this. I don't think Twilio is in any danger of being taken private. But I think they are. I, I, I think, go ahead. I what's think, your take? Give, yeah, well, give the, us the, the, this week's stock pick. Go ahead. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> do as I say, not as I do. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think the point of this and the, the seeking alpha article that we'll link to, um, the point is like their financials, are muddy enough where you know if if people lost faith in them that things could take a turn for the worse real fast where you know some private equity could show up and say look you guys have had this much time to turn a profit and you're not and i'm going to make an all cash offer to take you private and you know gut the company in half and make 10% returns on this thing as a private company and what are you going to do about it and the board will be like, you know, oh, you're offering us a you know a six percent premium over the current stock price, you know, and and we're down over the last you know fourteen months. Uh, maybe we'll take that. And that's that's what they were kind of vulnerable to. I think that's what we're kind of why we're seeing these sorts of articles is they're like Twilio making eight hundred seventy five million dollars a quarter in revenue, and what's why are they not profitable? And so when people look at that, they're like, well, shit, I could make that profitable. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So I think we should maybe like take it from three perspectives. I think obviously from an investor point of view, it's like, you're just worried is the stock price can go up. So you can, there's that perspective. There's the employee. Like if you were thinking about working at Twilio, you kind of want to think of like the health of the company, how it's valued, how will, if you were to get stock, how will that look like in the future? And then kind of dovetailing with that is sort of the end customers. It's like, if you like Twilio and you want to use it as it is today, if they are in a vulnerable, vulnerable position, meaning that someone could come in and buy them, Either one, they could you know stop the service you want, which seems very unlikely that they, they would. No, they they're not going to stop. You know, that Twilio is, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say you'll be able to use Twilio for the next ten years without. A I problem. think you will, but the thing that may change, right? At least for the SMS messaging part, like I don't know about the rest of the portfolio. Like Twilio serverless probably is the first thing to get like you know cut off by the the private equity. They're like, yeah, we're not in that business anymore, right? Yeah. But the one thing that could change is the pricing. Right. Is they could exactly. say, listen, because I do think Twilio at this point has good lock in um, to the customers. I mean, I like as I as we already mentioned, like, does anyone has anyone ever sent an SMS message programmatically without Twilio? I don't think it's been done. So they just came in and raised prices like most people are going to be like, that's fine. And they probably have some pricing power. That's probably we'll call it reasonable. Like they could probably do like a 10 percent, you know, uplift. Yeah. <laughs> like Netflix. Right. Right. But they, but there is a point where they'd be like, okay, and now it's up 200%. And then everybody has to go in front of their CFO and the CFO starts finding these arbitrary companies no one's ever heard of. Why aren't we using this weird company to do SMS? I just found exactly. this on Google. I mean, that, that, that's, that's for everyone. But, but Twilio does have a, a moat. I mean, the, the moat is like, they're everywhere. You know, I mean, I didn't, somewhere I saw a list of how many countries they were operating in. It's, it's most of them. And, uh, that is actually a big mode. I mean, telecommunications is expensive to get into. And, you know, so they'd have to, you know, their competition is going to be regional, which, you know, yeah, that's a problem, but not that big a problem. You know, because if, if you're a developer and you're working in more than one country and now you're told you have to work with two systems or one system, you're going to go for one system. You know, the pricing has to be bad for you not to go with two systems. And, and I think that's, that's Twilio's strength is they can keep towing this line of, you know, and I don't, I, as far as I understand, they're actually pretty cheap. And so like they could probably nudge their pricing up and, and, you know, increase this revenue from 875. See, I'm talking like a PE. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, we're totally going to milk this thing. We got our customers over the barrel and we're going to charge them, you know, uh, one cent per 10,000 SMS messages instead of, you know, fit, you know, 0.5 cents. And you know what? People will eat that without hesitation because developers are the expensive thing here right and supporting two sms systems because you're in you know two countries that's the the expensive thing um and so twilio's got a lot of pricing power here um you know they'd have to really abuse it to open themselves up to competition and the competition has a big moat to enter the market all right well while you were talking i was updating the software to find talk private equity investments and like i got twilio on the list here we'll see if we can put together a good uh, offer and i guess <laughs> Kind of back to Owen's original question. Hopefully we answer it. But that's really, that's why it matters. It's like, hey, you love it. It's good. It's probably not going anywhere. You just want it. Ideally, you just want that vendor in a good financial position because nothing's going to change. Twilio, yeah. I still think Twilio's in a decent position, but I will say, you know, um, because we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen in the future. It is one of those companies 2.0. If people suddenly uh, become unhappy with unprofitable companies and their valuation were to plummet, it would be. Uh, in Matt Ray's portfolio, at least, it would be uh, Matt Ray private equity takeover target. So watch out for that. You never want to be on that list. All right, Matt, um, you know, we're almost done here, but, you know, not a, a day goes by that I don't think of myself, man, wonder what Matt Ray is up to in his spare time. <laughs> well, Matt Ray, you, uh, 
you tweeted out this week how happy you were uh, that Debian uh, installation just works as you're resurrecting what I believe is a dead laptop that doesn't even have a screen. Somehow you're like just secure shelling into it, I assume. No, so no, ex- explain yourself. What, like, what, <laughs> I guess two parts. What did you do? And maybe the more broader question, almost philosophical, is why? Why are you doing oh, this? Go ahead. Uh, so, so, uh, listeners of the show or, you know, <laughs> people who know me <laughs> know that I, uh, have a penchant for resurrecting, um, crapulent hardware. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, I was just talking with, uh, some, some friends about, uh, back at, back in the chef days, we had a, um, a hardware, uh, re- repurchasing program, you know, used hardware employees could buy it and, uh, the prices were pretty good. And so I ended up buying five macbook airs of the uh, 2015 vintage um for 150 dollars each and you know these were all used devices um you know little nicks and scratches and, and scuffs or whatever but uh one of the times the it guy was like hey i've got this dead macbook pro i'm just gonna toss it in the box because you know ship it to australia said, you know <laughs> we already paid for the box you know you can have it and i was like cool you know free laptop um well you know fast forward uh when I bought my phone and my daughter's uh, iPod buds, AirPods, um, you know, I, Apple had a hardware trade-in program. I was able to trade in two of those $150 laptops for $250 each, which covered the cost of all five, six laptops. So yeah, that's gold. Nice, uh, nice. And I got, you know, three years of usage out of them before they were replaced with new uh, M1s. So, uh, you know, defaults lifestyle still killing it. Um, <laughs> but that MacBook Pro, that 2016 MacBook Pro, uh, the monitor was dead, completely dead, dead, dead. And it's uh, a HDMI, uh, USB-C HDMI. So, you know, you plug in the little dongle mm-hmm. and, you know, the video, uh, s- surprise, surprise, not so well supported in, uh, in Linux. Um, so the, uh, the installer first screen would come up and then after that it would go blank. Okay. So I was like, all right, challenge accepted. Um, so I took one of the other MacBook Airs and I figured out how to do uh, a, a pre-seed uh, auto install, which is, you know, you, you, you have a file that answers all the installer questions okay. yep. and, you know, format, partitions a hard drive, installs mm-hmm. the right packages, sets your passwords, adds you to the network. And at the end, you know, you have a, a, a fresh Linux box that you can SSH into. So I did that with the, the MacBook Air and then I had this MacBook Pro that I couldn't do anything except boot an installer. Okay. And so, you know, I, I, I got the, the pre-seed working on the Air and handed it to the Pro. And of course, it didn't work. <laughs> and okay. but, but, but the reason it didn't work was I figured this out was the, the USB-C network adapter unsupporting the kernel. So I had to update okay. the kernel in the installer okay. and the USB-C uh, network adapter. Okay. Um, was only supported in newer kernels also. So I wasn't getting anywhere with this, but I finally, I got it to boot the installer, upgrade the kernel, add support for uh, the video and the network adapter and pop out a working Debian Linux box on the other end. And you're like, why did you do that? Well, because now I've got an i7 uh, um, Intel uh, processor with 16 gigs of RAM and a brand new laptop. So that's in a, in a brand new does server. It, does it, but the monitor doesn't work. So you have to. No, 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 no yeah. working monitor. This is just and terminal, terminal only. To terminal get it to only. But you know what? Right. I added it to my, uh, my, my, uh, the favorites my Kubernetes on, uh, cluster. Uh-huh. And so now I have a new master for my cluster. Cause that thing's a hoss, right? So 
Um, that's why I was excited. Yeah. Well, because you know, I have to. I'll just you know. Obviously, everyone's listened to this far in the podcast. All I can say is, listen, I'm pretty excited about this uh, Fido password thing, and Matt Ray's pretty excited about this uh, this new headless laptop. So it's like, you know, you've come to, <laughs> if you made it this far, you're definitely in the right place. The, the, you're, we are your people. I, I don't know this. I don't think any other podcast is excited about these two subjects as we are. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we got that we'll going for us. We'll leave that there. Well, congratulations, Matt Ray. We look forward to yes. next week's ridiculous uh, project where you resurrect uh, some type of uh, old piece of hardware. Um, but a couple things here. I wanted to um, listen to our feedback. So, Matt, we haven't checked in on the thread. For those not in the know, the thread is uh, a thread that I think you started, Matt, I guess several years ago at this point. It is now yeah, yeah. roughly around – it's a Slack thread. It's roughly around 6,800 messages as of nice. this recording. Um the thread's hard to explain, but I was just wanted to point out because there was some there's some funny things that went on this week. This week, the thread sort of morphed into the uh, most unusual or expensive things that you put on an expense report. I'll just, you know, what's what's said uh, said in the thread stays in the thread. So I'm not going to out anyone. <laughs> I'm just going to say there's a statute of limitations, though. You're you're okay. You're okay. There were some shocking confessions. I was, I almost chimed in like, does everyone know this is like, eventually the thread just sort of eats itself, right? Because we won't yeah, be able yeah. to read the history. This, we're this never thread gonna, will self-destruct. That's right. We're never going to pay slack for the uh, the archives to this. But but I was never. just, I was worried that people were like, you know, you don't necessarily want to say that you did all this stuff. But there were some very, very unusual things out there. I, the largest, I will just say, I, well, I don't even want to say, I'll just say it was one person uh, expense tens of thousands of dollars. That was a little bit shocking. Um, no one, I will say this, no one uh, tried to expense $25 million to move trees down. That is only <laughs> um, the other thing. Do, I just do you think to... finance had a John Ivy filter? Oh my gosh. I think, I think he had his own person. I mean, for 25 oh, million, you're like, we got to have a person like just a concierge all the time, right? Yeah. He definitely, Oh, I need an expenses concierge. Yeah. 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 I don't think uh, we, I think rest assured Johnny Ive is not logging into Concord. He is not like, that is not how it works at uh, his situation. Um, the other thing, if uh, anyone wants a sticker, all you have to do is uh, email your postal address to stickers at software defined talk. Dot com And I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And then, you know, something I never mentioned, but occasionally we get people doing it. It's like, you don't want stickers, but you still want to email us. You just want to ask us questions. You know, you're never going to guess what email address this is. Just email us a question at questions at softwaredefinedtalk.com. I think we pretty much take questions on any subject. I don't know. If, uh, I think we, we feel like we can probably equally uh, unknowledgeable at most things. So you oh, want yeah. to ask us a question, be happy to read it here on air. And, uh, We'll do our best to answer it. So like Owen, Owen asked a good question this week in the Slack. So you can put them in the Slack. If you're not in the Slack, just email anything to questions at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And uh, some conferences, Matt, uh, it's coming up real soon. Been working with, uh, I have the entire Software Defined Talk events team hard at work right now planning our session uh, that will happen at the VAT conference that's taking place in Round Rock, Texas, which is just north of Austin. That's May 23rd through the 26th. We have tons of discount codes here, so you can get $75 off, $50 off. Uh, it's actually at a hotel that has a water park, so don't tell anyone. I'm actually going to take my family for a little bit for one day. They're just going to like oh, yeah. swim while I'm, uh, quote, working that at the that conference. Expense so, some floaties, man. That's right. We'll see if we can get that by um, the expense team. Uh, there's also uh, wanted to also call out a specific conference that we got some really good discount code from our friend Chris A over at the CNCF. It's uh, CDCon. That's June 7th and 8th. It's in Austin, and it's also virtual. So that's uh, 
you know, if you're in a continuous delivery automation, you want to hang out with like match friends, you know, you should probably go to that kind of conference. Uh, you can get a 40% discount using the code in uh, the show notes. There. I won't read the whole thing, but it's, it's good. It's 40% off. And uh, who knows if you're in Austin, you know, maybe, maybe Matt will be here. Maybe Kote will be here. You know, who knows? We'll see <laughs> what's happening. Um, anything can happen. And then there's a bunch of other conferences that you can check out. I'm sure Cote would want you to go to the spring one events. Um, those are upcoming as well. So go learn, you know, learn about Tanzu with Cote and, uh, and just, you know, hopefully we're all kind of slowly getting back into uh, going to conferences. That's generally, uh, I'm uh, excited to hear from Cote next week. He's going to give us a full report on DevOps days, Austin, so we can see how that live event went now. Having said all of that, Matt, what is your recommendation this week as I look at it? Go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, it's Debbie and Precedes. They're awesome. Um, so, so yeah, uh, I'll give a shout out to them. Um, you know, just like all open source projects everywhere, the documentation can need some work. So uh, but I've gone out here and talked about it. I should probably go send some updates and patches their way or, you know, blog about it at least. But uh, so this is the, this what you're saying before. You can answer all the, it's basically headless installer, right? Answer all the questions like yes, no, yes, oh, yeah, no. And yeah. it just works, right? That's the thing. Yep. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. And that's, and, and there's a little bit of logic you can put into it and, you know, you can do some cool things with Ubuntu now, don't that? Isn't that our preferred? Well, it's like, the same difference. Like, you know, Ubuntu what? just takes the Debian stuff and, and, you know, find and replace, you know, Debian. Um, so, yeah, the wow. Ubuntu, sure, Ubuntu uses sure you the same thing. Everybody at Ubuntu, very happy with that. I like it. Go on. Mm-hmm. Bring it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, if you're having trouble with some Debian search terms, change it from Debian to Ubuntu and you'll find the same answers. Right. And so there, there were some, a lot of questions this week. Just go on, please continue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, if, if you, if you have, this is the technology underlying like Packer and, and everything else is pre-seeds. They're, they're awesome. You know, kickstarts is what, uh, you know, use, I guess on the Red Hat side. Um, it's. Yeah, it's just cool. It's cool stuff when it works, right? And and everything in the cloud is is already built on top of this. So, um, it's it's cool when it works. And uh, you know what I want? I uh, want a pre-seed for the Apple TV. Where I, when I I had to set one of these up the other day, and it it's very simple to set up, but then you have to go through and like log into every single one of the apps. Oh, unbelievably painful. So. Hopefully that would be great. I want to appreciate. <laughs> well, so so, my- so actually, may, may, maybe that's maybe that's my pick for the week: templating things, <laughs> <laughs> automated <laughs> installations of Flynn the Blank automation. Can is just- a, can we get the YAML file for the Apple TV? Probably not going to be in the defaults lifestyle. Not a lot of people asking for that, but maybe Fido will save us in the future. Well, well when, when you need to install one. thousands of, of Apple TVs, you know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> that's true it's like i don't know it should seems uh not again my issue not with apple my issue was just sort of like i have to log in with every single one of these services which probably yeah, means nobody wants I have to log too in many. that's right it means i have too many services which takes me to my recommendation this week so i think probably everybody that wants to see this has seen it but ozark see uh the series finale so it was the last six episodes uh aired this week yeah. on netflix so maybe netflix is not doing as well but the, that TV series is great. It was, uh, I think it was four seasons, but it was over like a long period yeah. of time. So if you've never seen Ozark, it's great. You should watch this. Never seen finish. It. You've never seen any of it? Never seen really? any of it. Unbelievable. I, hey, well, you know, Lost just burned me. I wait for series no. to end. So if people uh-huh. can tell me if okay. the series is worth watching. All right. Well, did you, have you watched that? We haven't watched that, but you have Netflix. I know you don't have uh, Apple TV. I do have Netflix. You don't have Apple TV Plus, uh, right? You know, it's, it's a seasonal thing. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I wait Ozark, for a new season not, of Ted Lasso. 
You should go. Uh, you should go Netflix. I mean, yeah, we got four solid seasons. Ahead. I think it's solid too. I think it's it's not so much like a, a mystery as much as like a character study. But I think the ending. I thought the ending was good. I liked it. Gave me something to think about. Uh, so it, it, it was worth. It feels it like worth the effort. For, as an outsider, it looks like um, um, Breaking Bad. Right? Do I? Am I in for that I think kind it's of in that genre? Right? Like, yeah. Like, I think it's. I think some people that's would say Breaking Bad. That's yeah. Mm, it's not actually not i don't know you well i mean i know you're busy uh reinstalling debian a lot so there, you probably don't have any time <laughs> in your day to do it uh, i got a, I got a uh, job I, yeah <laughs> once you set up your uh, uh auto install of debian and you need a, a some time to kill while everything's automatically uh installing you can watch some ozark that's that's when you should be watching it so i really enjoyed it though i think everyone should check it out uh, I think you like Jason Bateman too, right? You like Jason Bateman oh, yeah, because yeah. Of his other TV. So it's a little different in this one. It's not necessarily big Family funny. Ties fan, but uh, <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I was thinking, Mallory. Um, anyway, no, that wasn't. Was that Family Ties? I can't even remember. There wasn't him. Now. It was a sister. It was sister. That's right. Um, that's right. Anyway, <laughs> all right. Well, we've gone on too long because now I'm confusing uh, Jason Bateman with a sister whose name I can't even remember. But I know, Justine. I know she was Mallory in Family Ties. Justine. Yeah, Justine, Justine Bateman. Bateman. All right. All right. Well, with that, we'll talk to everyone next time. Bye-bye. <clears throat> so, so, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to my storage unit and I'm going to bring back, there are three things that I want to bring back and I probably can only bring one of them back. Okay. So maybe I need to do a poll or something here. Here are the choices, right? Okay. <laughs> More electronics. My, my iPad monitor finally broke. Okay. Uh, yeah. And I told my son, I was like, Oh, I've got a 2k you know, 24 inch monitor just sitting mm-hmm. in storage. He's like, yeah. I want it. I was like, okay. Um, my bike, I haven't mm-hmm. had my, my mountain bike for like six years. And I looked at buying a new one here, but I was like, I've got, you know, a thousand dollar bike in Austin. Maybe I can bring it back. Okay. Or my, or, <laughs> or my fucking Herman Miller chair. Right. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, I've been sitting on these crappy like office works chairs and, you know, I'm on my second one cause they fall apart so fast. And it's like, <sighs> How do you get a chair back to Australia? I don't know. But if you don't take that chair back to Australia, it sounds like I probably should hold on to it for you know, for a while.